0: All right. Well, open your Bible to Acts chapter 18. Acts 18. And if you have a Bible with you, there's one provided for you in the back of the pew right in front of you. You'll find this on page 786 or 826 of the pew Bible. Acts 18. We're going to read all 28 verses in just a moment. We're continuing our series called Beyond, where we're looking at the church in the book of acts as sort of a model of what it looks like to live beyond sunday gatherings beyond the walls of the church and beyond the borders and the title of this morning's message is seeing beyond your expectations i'll explain in a few minutes what that means and what it doesn't mean but meanwhile we're going to get directly into the text of scripture the words will be on the screen if you don't have a bible that you're looking at But we'll get right into it. So let's look there together, Acts 18. And I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 1, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, a ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for i have many in this city who are my people and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of god among them but when Gallio was proconsul of achaia the jews made a united attack on paul and brought him before the tribunal saying this man is persuading people to worship god contrary to the law but when paul was about to open his mouth Gallio said to the jews After this, Paul stayed many days longer and he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Synchrei, he cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and they went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately, the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public showing by the scriptures that christ was jesus let's pray together well lord as always we are so thankful for this moment where having been beckoned by you to assemble in your presence we sit ready to hear from you we believe when we open the scriptures, and when they are read and explained, that your voice is heard, that the word is living and active and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and able to pierce to the very center of our being the division even of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart, So, Lord, in light of what you know is in our heart, the cares and concerns, the preoccupations, the things that define our lives many times, Lord, would you shine light on those that we might see some little glimpse of what you see, that we might be made whole because we've encountered you And so we ask that you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and for our good always in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. When we come to chapter 18, Paul is continuing his second missionary journey by verse 23 that we just read. That second journey will come to an end. And the third journey will begin. It happens just that abruptly in the text. you recall that the Jews from Thessalonica had run them out of town there when they were up in the region of Macedonia, and then had followed them to Berea to chase them out of Berea as well. They were really quite committed to their persecution. Silas and Timothy had put Paul aboard a ship at Berea and just evacuated him from that hostility. And that was what took him down to Athens. And while he was waiting there, he sent word for uh, Silas and Timothy to join him. And he took the opportunity to talk to people in the marketplace and even um, to preach the word of God. And he confronted the idols of that city you may recall if you were here last week a city that remained one of the intellectual and cultural centers of the whole known world at that time and then he, and he leaves Athens um, if not abruptly certainly with a little bit of unfinished business it would seem because there were people still saying well we'll hear you more about this but he doesn't give them opportunity to hear more and for reasons that aren't disclosed to us he goes on to Corinth And as we unpack that in uh, chapter 18 here, there are some things first century readers would have known about Corinth, about Galileo, about other things in that background. They would have known things that um, we have to sort of uncover or that have to be explained. And so I'm going to unpack some of that as we go through this to, to more fully appreciate what it is that God did there. But so that... The overarching point of this message doesn't get lost in my unpacking of such things. Let me just state that right up front. I said earlier, I want to talk this morning on the subject of seeing beyond your expectations. And typically, if somebody says that something was beyond, beyond your expectations, you probably mean it was it was a whole lot better than what you imagined, right? It was more positive, more enjoyable, more pleasant than you expected. So you might say this restaurant was beyond your expectations or a hotel or a vacation or something like that. I'm using this phrase in a broader sense this morning because the fact is that most of us live life with all kinds of expectations about how things are gonna go. Right, what, Expectations that we're even unconscious of. You may be conditioned to think that some circumstance is just going to always be painful or unpleasant for you. Either because that's all you've ever known or because it's been that way for long enough that you just have sort of resigned to the fact that's how it's going to be and, and that becomes your expectation. Often we may expect things to be much better Right? And where things are gonna get much better than they are and maybe even live up to some ideal we have of life. Um, you probably know this tends to be more true the younger you are because the older you get, the more life has failed to live up uh, to some of those expectations and you might adjust a little bit, but we, we somehow seem still conditioned this way. We, we think life is gonna live up to some ideal, so we're gonna get the promotion that we're hoping for. We're going to land that dream job. We're going to have the marriage that everybody else wants to imitate and they're going to come to us for advice and wisdom. We're going to have kids that grow up to love the Lord and do well in college and get a great job and have a big happy family of their own. Expectations that things are going to be great and meet some ideal or what have you. We could go on and on, right, about things that could go in the blanks there. But for the most part, the, things that, the thing that my expectations have in common is that I'm at the center of them. Right? And that, you know, my, wh- whether I'm preoccupied with the thought that things are going to be great or things are never going to be great, my sight really only extends to the borders of my own little kingdom. And, and I really don't see beyond it because I don't tend to look beyond it. And my expectations are framed by a limited sight distance in that way, and I put myself at the center of it. I find it to be true that, you know, that may cause me to be downcast at some point, right I talk myself into despair um, of of one sort or another or um, that I am puffed up about something and I think I'm greater and life is greater than it really is I find that I I sometimes think too little of myself I often think too much of myself but always think of myself too much And that's, that's really the crux of the matter, isn't it? Um, is that when it comes to having expectations of life, they are defined by our incessant thoughts about ourself. And because of that, very often, we fail to see that God's intentions lie beyond our expectations. And it is in that sense that we need to see beyond them so that we see what God has there. And Paul's visit to Corinth recorded here in Acts 16 reveals at least three ways in which God had intentions for Paul that he couldn't possibly have expected. There, was, there were unexpected companions for his ministry that he would find here. There was an unexpected extension to his visit and unexpected protection he would receive to his very person and so we're gonna take uh, this passage under those headings first let's look at these unexpected companions look in verses 2 & 3 it says he found a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them so by God's providence Paul had come to Corinth from Palestine and crossed paths with Aquila and Priscilla who had come from Rome. Now Corinth was a large city, an estimated population of about 200,000 people located about 40 or 50 miles southwest, mostly west of of Athens where he had just come from. So by ship, a day trip, by foot, it would have taken him a few days. Um, But it was... A relatively new city. It had been completely destroyed by the Romans because of a revolt there back in 146 BC. And then about 100 years later, it was rebuilt. So when Paul went there and when Aquila and Priscilla went there, most of the buildings were new. There would have been no major building older than 100 years old. It's a major port city, it's an administrative center of the pro- uh, province, it's prosperous and known also for its immorality. There were pagan temples, including a huge temple uh, to Aphrodite. And in that part of the world, the word Corinthianize meant to commit sexual immorality. So in, in the way that uh, those in the Judeo-Christian tradition would use the word sodomized to refer to, it's become synonymous with sexual immorality um, because of the wickedness that the Bible tells us about Sodom. Uh, the, the world in the 4th or 5th century BC and forward knew Corinth that way. It was that, had that depth of immorality. So again, we, we may think, and I, and I don't mean to, to uh, slander anybody, but when you think of a, a modern city that's prosperous, that's happening, lots of lights and cameras and action, so to speak, and not a whole lot of moral restraint. We, we might think of an LA or a Las Vegas or something like that, other than the kind of city um, that Paul has traveled to and that, and that Aquila and Priscilla have traveled to as well. But, but remember, neither of them had gone to Corinth by their own designs. Now, all of this, again, just don't lose sight of the fact of, as, I, as I take us down into the weeds on some things here, that all of this is relevant to expectations and seeing beyond expectations. But neither Paul... or or Priscilla and Aquila had gone to Corinth by their own designs. Remember Paul, when he left Antioch on his second missionary journey, he went to encourage the churches he planted on his first journey. Do you remember that? He never, never intended to go even over to Macedonia, much less all the way down into Greek. He never intended to go to this whole part of the world, much less to the city of Corinth. And Aquila and Priscilla, we were told right here, they had recently come from Italy because Claudius had commanded the Jews to leave Rome this refers to an edict that we know actually took place the Emperor Claudius in the year 49 expelled the Jews from Rome because of Christus uh, either a misspelling or a Latinized spelling of Christus that is Christ that unrest emerged in the city of Rome in the same way we read about it in the books of Acts. Book of Acts, you notice that everywhere Paul goes and starts talking about Jesus for very long, he stirs up the ire of people, starts riots and fights and mobs and all kinds of other things. That happened in Rome as well. There, was, there were riots in the city that arose because of Christ between Jews and Christians. And, and Claudius had actually commanded the Jews to be expelled from Rome. And so like Paul, Aquila and Priscilla are aliens and strangers here in Corinth. Paul stayed with them because not only did they sort of hit it off, I suppose, uh, but they're of the same trade, both tent makers. Work with leather goods, making tents and other things made of leather. But we'll, we'll learn that they become more than just landlords and business associates for Paul. Um, Verse 18 of this passage told us when Paul left Corinth to return home, he took Priscilla and Aquila with him. In Romans 16, verses three through five, he calls them my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life. And he says of them that all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks for them. Priscilla and Aquila became leaders in the church that everybody knew of and were thankful for. I'd like to think everybody who knew me was thankful for me. (laughs) I was not fishing for that, but at all. That that was not in my notes, sorry. Sorry. but thanks for playing along. <laughs> but they become people of that kind of regard, not only for Paul, but again, other people in the church. He says there and elsewhere they had a church that met in their house. And among the very last words that Paul is ever known to have written in his second letter to Timothy, he says to Timothy, Send greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. They were trusted ministry companions dear to Paul for the rest of his life and it was here in Corinth that God scheduled a meeting between them where neither one of them intended to go Paul had been driven along from Macedonia down through uh, the region of Achaia down through Athens and of course over to Corinth driven by one persecution after another he couldn't stay put long enough kept being driven out Uh, Aquila and Priscilla by a persecution of a different sort in a different place. And here they meet and form a lifelong companionship and ministry because God's intention for them was beyond their expectations. Whatever they went to Corinth expecting, it surely wasn't this. But he had intentions beyond their expectation. And secondly, he had an unexpected extension of to Paul's visit. Verse 5 tells us Silas and Timothy finally caught up with Paul uh, their first reunion after sending him away in Berea. So you may remember Paul went down to Athens and sent word for Silas and Timothy to join him there, but he didn't stay there long enough for them to join. <laughs> By the time word got back and they made it down, he had already left and gone to Corinth and apparently had left word so they knew to find him there. By the time they arrive, he's already deeply engaged with the Jews, telling them about Jesus. And at first, it appears that things are gonna go just like they always go. It says, look in verse six, that he's talking to the Jews about Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your heads, I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. So it's just like, this is the same old script, right? The Jews get upset, oppose him, they start getting kind of hostile. He says, he declares, I'll go to the Gentiles. Meanwhile, there are people who believed, there are believers that come from it. And so what do you suppose Paul's expectations are about what's gonna happen next? Well, I mean, what's, what's happened every other time? The Jews stir up a mob? and come after him, right? Paul has been stoned, he's been thrown in prison, he's been dragged before authorities to explain himself. At least twice since his conversion, he's had to escape in the middle of the night. Another time in the middle of the night, at the hand of God, he survives an earthquake that shakes the prison doors open and breaks the chains off in Philippi, you remember that story how well would you be sleeping at night at this point if you were Paul I mean when you when you lay your head down on the pillow at night what are the chances you're just gonna drift off to sleep because because no matter how bad you want to put it out of mind surely one ear is listening for the mob in the distance right you don't know what night it's gonna happen but something always happens at night. But on this particular night, there was something wonderfully, wonderfully different that the Lord had in mind. Because Paul receives a sweet visitation from Jesus, and I, I I characterize it that way when I read this. This is how this strikes me: that it is just sweet and gracious on the part of the Lord to come to him with this encouragement. Look at what it says again in verses nine and 10. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Now notice, we're never told that Paul was afraid. But Jesus told him not to be, which seems to suggest he probably is. And he's probably expecting, again, at any moment, any day or night, that someone is going to attack him to harm him because Jesus says, no one will attack you to harm you. Again, it seems quite reasonable to infer that from the text and even from what we know from just being human I mean again we think of Paul as sort of being a super Christian but Paul is a human being just like the rest of us and apparently um, if not preoccupied by the fear and the likelihood of being attacked it is certainly on his mind and Jesus comes to him and comforts him and he goes on to say no one will attack or harm you for I have many people in this city. I have many in this city who are my people. There were people there for whom Jesus died, and they don't know Jesus yet, but he knows them. And in order for them to come to faith in Jesus, Paul needs to preach the gospel to them. He has to stay there and proclaim the gospel. And he does. Verse 11 says. For a year and six months. Now, if you've been following closely through this study of Acts, that has never happened before. Not even close that he's stayed anywhere. Like, he would not be unpacking his suitcase at this point. You know, he's not putting family photos on the wall at the hotel, so to speak. Because he shouldn't expect to be there very long. He's not anywhere for very long. He stays for a year and six months. Because God had intentions for Paul that lay beyond his expectations. He was gracious enough to just show up in the middle of the night and tell him exactly what those were. And Paul begins to have his vision shaped for what lies beyond his expectations. And so there's an unexpected companion in uh, Corinth, there is an unexpected extension to his visit in Corinth. And then finally, there's an unexpected protection that the Lord provides here. Even though Paul had been there for some time, the Jews never outgrew their dislike for him. And uh, we're told in verse 12, they made a united attack and they brought him before Gallio, who was the proconsul. And we actually know from, from outside of the Bible, we know a, quite a bit about Gallio. Um, that is significant to appreciating, as I said, what is told to us here in this text. The first century reader would know because they know who Galio was. Um, it's something we have to unpack a little bit. But Galio was proconsul for only a short time, uh, the year 80 um, AD, as in the year of the Lord, 51 to 52. He had to leave because of a fever, and again, that's well attested outside of the Bible, which means this um, visit to Corinth can be dated with maybe the highest degree of confidence of anything in the book of Acts. When we're trying to date a timeline of Paul's ministry and it, when his letters were written and that sort of thing, there's high confidence about this date because Galileo's service there as proconsul. So about 20 years after the crucifixion of Jesus almost, We also know Galileo came from a well-connected family of high social standing his father um, and his younger brother were named Seneca Uh, the the student of classical studies may recognize the name Seneca his younger brother was probably the better known um, who was a teacher and philosopher and among other things was a a personal advisor to Nero so Galileo is very influential I mean think of A Bush uh, or a um, not like as in George Bush not a Bush uh, on the ground like a a, somebody of the Bush family um, somebody of the Kennedy's okay not that they were all politicians but of, of that sort of prominence and status Galileo is from that kind of family that's who Paul is sitting in front of that's who is going to determine his fate here and it's also fairly well documented uh, that Gallio was anti-Semitic. He did not care for Jews. He even called them an accursed race. Um, and that we know from his own brother who wrote that about him. Seneca was one of the things that he wrote, which may help explain his indifference toward the attack that we read about there on Sosthenes where it says Galileo just paid no mind down in verse 17 as they attacked the ruler of the synagogue. Well, let's put all that together. Again, I tell you that not as sort of interesting trivia in case you're watching Jeopardy and uh, you know there are questions about first century Roman politics. But consider what God has done in this moment. He has provided protection for Paul by orchestrating events even at the highest levels of the Roman Empire to see to it that during the time that Paul is in Corinth, which is extended, right, by God's providence, but during that time, a proconsul is sent there for a very short period of time overlapping that. Shortly after Paul leaves, so does Gallio. He contracts a fever. Um, He's out of there, and he never comes back to serve there. God brought him, though, for exactly that season when that trial would take place. It's a proconsul who is predisposed not to side with the Jews. All right, he's predisposed not to be sympathetic to a Jewish complaint. Now, God is not the author of that sin, you understand? God did not make him, cause him to hate Jews. But he orchestrates events so that even that predisposition that prejudice against Jews actually works to the favor of Paul because he just says, I'm not, this is not a matter uh, that the Roman court needs to be concerned with. He's highly influential, and we don't know the consequence of this, but it's very possible that this decision that he makes has far-reaching implications for other believers all over the empire for the next 10 years or so that it's a precedent-setting sort of decision potentially because this sort of unrest has emerged everywhere, even in Rome. And so there's a decision that can say, you know what, this is not a matter of Roman law, so you stop the nonsense. And the gospel is able to be proclaimed uh, pretty freely, even in Rome, in subsequent years. And those are the kinds of things we can't really be Sure about this sort of, again, speculative on our part, but we know later that Paul, even when he is imprisoned again in Jerusalem, he appeals to Rome and likely has some confidence out of uh, this event right here that the Romans might be more likely to rule in his favor than the Jews would be. But that actually what ultimately takes him to Rome. Again, we don't know that for sure, but what we can be certain about is that God protected Paul from judgment by the proconsul of Rome, by Gallio himself, and he used gallio 's ruling to provide protection for Paul from further harassment by the Jews. And as a result, Paul leaves Corinth on his own terms and on his own timing, having sort of Maybe not tied a knot around things in Corinth, but, but at least tied a loose bow around him. Uh, so he finished the work he needed to do there at the moment and left on his own time and on his own terms. God's intentions for Paul lay beyond his expectations. There's an unexpected companionship there, an unexpected extension, an unexpected provision of protection and you know um there there may be some sitting right here in some kind of holding pattern in your life you're in a season that has been extended and you wish you could just get on with it in fact we don't even really know that paul wanted to stay in corinth for a year and a half right? But God made provision for him to do so peacefully. And, and there may be some here who really are in a season. If, you, if you're not now, you're going to be at some point, and you probably have been before if you've lived long enough, ready for this season to be over with. Ready to move on to the, the next thing that you expected to manifest before now. You expected this issue, conflict to be resolved, this job to open up, or whatever the opportunity is. You have expectations in those ways. And again, it may be that in the season of waiting, the season extended by God's own providence, that there is a relationship, like Paul found with Priscilla and Aquila. Perhaps there's a relationship. That God intends for you right where you are because he has intentions beyond your expectations that your expectations are sort of what you can see and what you can wish for your own self there may be something lasting and lifelong he has in store for you or I to just notice by lifting our eyes to see what He has beyond our expectations. There, there are many other, uh, again, particular um, examples you could fill in that blank there. But it is true that we live life so often, sometimes thinking too little of ourselves often thinking too much of ourselves, but always thinking of ourselves too much. And if we'll look to see, God will show us what lies beyond our own expectations. And when it is his will and his hand in it, it is always good. Let's pray. Father, we praise you as one who as infinitely trustworthy with our lives and with all the circumstances that define and fill our lives lord we readily admit that we live life so much of the time preoccupied with our own personal concerns how did I do or how am I doing or how am I going to do? How are things going to be for me or I'm despondent about how things are for me or were for me? And that can just be so true about the way we see life and live life. Lord, we just ask that you would extend Our vision, that you would give us the ability to see beyond our own little kingdom and to see your kingdom filled with possibilities, with plans, and with purpose that you have for us in it. Lord, I pray for those who may be restless and frustrated. In a holding pattern right now in their life, or maybe like Paul, they feel like they've been sort of um, kicked around and and bumped from one uh, one place to another, one season to another, one relationship to another. They would love for you to show up in their bedroom at night and say, "Peace." Be with you. You're going to stay here a while because I'm with you. Lord, they would love that kind of encouragement. But Father, whatever those needs are right here in the hearts and the lives of people, would you just give them the eyes to see yourself in it and the intentions you have for them that may lie beyond their expectations? We thank you that you're faithful to receive us, to hear our prayers, that you're willing and able to answer them. Do so, Lord, according to your will, as we know your will is for our good. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.